Welcome to Declaration, where we exist to help people encounter and follow Jesus. Here at Declaration, we believe that God has a word for you and for your family, to live a life of fullness and to be faithful to Christ and His church. If you want to know more about who we are at Declaration Church, then I highly encourage you to visit declaration.org. Everybody, how are you feeling today? I love it. I love it. You look good today. You look good. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, you seem to have lost some weight. Tell them real fast. That always makes people feel good. All right. Um, really quickly, before we dive in and before we dismiss our fifth and sixth grade, I do not want to forget to do that. Um, you know, the name, of, the name of the church, God gave the name of this church declaration, right? No. Okay. Wrong. Am I at the wrong place? Am I at the right? Is this the right house? <laughs> Did I go to the right school this morning? Um, Declaration. Anyway, sometimes I think it is important for us to declare some things, to testify to some things. And I hope that that person's still here. I cannot see her. Is Pam still here? Okay, there you are, Pam. Um, let me read this passage for you. And, and we're going to welcome Pam up here. I want her to come give us um, a little testimony, if you will, of what God is doing. But in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says this. And they, they overcame because of the blood of the Lamb... And because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. So they loved the Lord more than they even loved their own life. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. Is that, that's, some, that's a good word, right? All right, so I asked Pam to come up here and just declare some things because a lot of the things that we just sang, literally, um, man, like, it, I, I am so pumped up today, y'all. And plus, I've had like three cups of coffee, but I'm really pumped up. So let's, let's, let's give it up for Pam one more time as she comes to declare. Come on, girl. All right, All right so um, a while back, I was given a cancer diagnosis. Um, they stage four cancer with brain metastasis. So they gave me five months to live without treatment. And then with treatment, they gave me nine to 10 months to live. So guys, I just gotta tell you, we serve a good God. It's a year ago since they gave me that diagnosis. So our God has provided. Can, he is good. We have a good, good, good father. So there's nothing that you ask for that he will withhold from you. There is no healing that you ask for that he's going to withhold from you either. So we have a good God and I am a living testimony. Not only am I healed by the blood of the cross, but we're walking out of purpose, right? Right? He does all of this for purpose. So we have a good God. Come on, somebody. Give God your best for a minute. That's good. All right, now can we clap as we dismiss our fifth and sixth grade? Let's just tell them how much we love them this, this morning as they go. There's a lot of them, man. Look at them go. Man, what a good day. It's been such a good day. In fact, um, this morning, um, I, I, I just want to celebrate last week. Easter was incredible. I hope that you were here, that you were able to be a part of that. We saw 15 people give their life to Jesus for the first time last week. Come on. This morning, in the 9 o'clock service, we saw three people give their life to Jesus. And to me, that is just a testimony. That's a miracle. It's supernatural. It really is. Um, you know, studying statistics there's a statistic, Billy Graham actually said this years and years ago, and I think it's even gotten um, higher, but you're 88% less likely to come to know Christ after the age of 18. 
So when we continue to see these adults surrender their life to Jesus, for the, this is a supernatural miracle that we get to be a part of. It's awesome. So thank you, church, for how you pray, how you love Jesus, how you love and serve people, how you give. I think all of that is just fruit of the seed that we continue to sow, and we're gonna continue to see harvest more and more. Amen? All right. Come on, somebody. That's good. All right. Well, let's get going this morning. Um, anybody ever, um, you, you know of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, Anybody? ever either read it or maybe seen some TV or whatever. Well, they, they decide to go camping one night and they set their, they set their tent up um, under the stars and they go to sleep. Well, sometime in the night, middle of the night, Holmes wakes up Dr. Watson and he says, Watson, I want you to look up at the stars and tell me what it is that you deduce, right? And so Watson looks up and he is, I mean, he is overwhelmed. He is amazed at, at the sight of what he sees, all these you know, these stars. I mean, he's in total awe, total wonder. And then he says, I see millions of stars, millions of just bright, beautiful stars. And, and even if a few of those stars were to have planets, it's quite likely that some of those might be like Earth. And if there are a few planets um, around these stars like the Earth, then it's quite possible that there might also be life. Watson's feeling very proud of himself right now for his assessment of what it is that he saw and the, 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 you know, the answer to the question that he gave to um, Holmes. And so uh, Holmes just kind of looks at him and replies, no, Watson, you idiot. Someone has stolen our tent. So, <laughs> now, some of you are going to get that a little later. You may, have to, you may have to explain it, you know, explain it. But it's okay. You know, I wonder, but how many of us are more like Watson or more like Holmes in this story, right? How many of us possibly, um, maybe um, through the series of events or, um, or whatever, maybe we find ourselves a little numb to the things of God. We find ourselves a little numb even to an awe for God, awe being A-W-E, right? Um, we've lost our sense of awe, our sense of wonder for who God is. How many of us would be absolutely, imagine that you're in that scenario and you're out in you know, a place where there's not a lot of lights and it's in the middle of the night and you look up and you gaze at the star. You literally look up and you are just dumbfounded, if you will, overwhelmed by the, the miraculous majesty of the beauty of the tapestry of the night sky that God has painted. And you're overwhelmed. I mean, you were completely just in wonder and in awe, contemplating this great God who breathes miracles and speaks everything seen and unseen literally into existence. Or how many would just be looking maybe for the obvious? There's no tent. Hello, duh, right? Um, we'd simply just kind of, you know, just, we're just all about the familiar, right? Versus how many of us really would be blown away by the beauty that we had the privilege to behold. Um, obviously, Watson had this sense of wonder when it came to what it is that he was observing, and then there's Holmes. Um, maybe we find ourselves more like Holmes right now, just kind of existing, constantly looking for and living for the familiar, the obvious, rather than living completely enraptured in awe of God. Now listen, I'm afraid when it comes to having wonder and awe for God, Far too many have become far too familiar to the point where God may have even become optional for us, right? Far too many um, of us approach God far too casually right now. 
do we have a sense of awe and wonder for God? I want to look at just a few passages. I'm going to actually read this first one, then we're going to come back to it in a second briefly. Um, but if you've got your Bible, I'm going to read four. I'm going to give them to you on the screen, but then I want you to go to Genesis chapter 1. We'll get to there very quickly. But look at Exodus 15, 11 really quickly for uh, a second on the screen. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Job 25, 2 says dominion or Power or authority and awe belong to him. Psalm 19, verse 120 in the NIV, my flesh trembles in reverence. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws, your commands, your word. Ecclesiastes 5, 7. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. Now, awe, as defined by Merriam-Webster, says this. It's an emotion variously... um, combining dread, veneration, and wonder that is inspired by authority or by the sacred or the sublime. Veneration meaning respect or awe inspired by dignity, wisdom, or talent of someone, if you will. So back to Exodus 15. Who is like among him? Who is, who is like him? Right? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, totally set apart, awesome in praises, working Wonders. Do we find ourselves in awe of God's wonders? Wonder meaning um, this, a cause of astonishment or admiration. To marvel, a miracle, that's a wonder. The quality of exciting, amazed admiration. Um, rapt attention or astonishment is something awesomely mysterious um, or new to one's experience. Why have we lost the fact that God is absolutely mysterious. If he is able to be figured out, then he's not really able to be God. But oh, how we've gotten so intellectually bloviated, haven't we? I grew up in the 90s, right? That's when I was really cutting my teeth on theology. And man, we loved to debate scripture as collegiates. And we loved to sit around and pontificate. And boy, we read John Piper because he was the podcast preacher of the moment before we really had the podcast preacher. We could even quote Piper chapter 10, verse 2. We were intellectually, theologically stimulating and stimulated. But was God mysterious or had we just figured him out through our system? through our process. See, last week, if you were here, um, you probably heard me go into this long bullet point tirade rant of super encouraging statements that describe the lack in our society. Happy Easter, everybody, right? Jesus is risen, we all stink, right? We talked a lot about things like, yes, though Jesus was alive, though he had defeated death and the grave, though in and through him, we can now have this abundant, filled, complete, um, holistically satisfied, assured life Victory, but tragically, so many today don't feel alive. They don't feel, or their life is not feel, it does not feel like it's filled. See, there's this serious lack of contentment. There's this serious lack of fulfillment that has gripped our culture, that has gripped our world. There's a seemingly great dissatisfaction, which leads to all sorts of idolatries. There is impoverished sense of gratitude right now even in the church. And I believe that this is by and large because we have misplaced our affections and we have misaligned our allegiance. But even more so, I believe it's because we have a lack of a sense of awe and wonder for God. We've lost the reverence for God. 
So do we see him as beyond our capacity to even imagine, right? Do we see him as all-powerful? Do we believe him to be self-existent and transcendent and all-sufficient? Do we understand that everything that has come into being is because of him, through him, by him, and for him, as Colossians does not just suggest, but absolutely definitively declares? Um, Do we understand his ability to change everything with just one breath, one simple word? So we go to Genesis 1 and we see this. We see that he is the creator of all things. And that is a question that we need to ask ourselves because I believe that the the Genesis theology is going to be the cornerstone. It's going to be the foundation of what you think about the rest of all this, to be honest. So do do we see him as the creator? Do we see him as the sustainer? Do we see him as the keeper? Do we see him as the provider? Do we see him as all sufficient? Um, Is he the only one really that can truly satisfy the longing of our souls? So Genesis 1, we see in verse 1, um, it says, in the beginning. Somebody say, in the beginning. And then it says, God created. Somebody say, God created. Turn to a neighbor and say, don't know if you know it, but God created it. God created. In the beginning, God created. Right? He created the heavens and the earth. It says the earth was formless. It was a deep void. There was a desolate emptiness. Darkness was over the surface. God was hovering over the surface. Before God spoke, there was nothing in existence. There was this desolate darkness. It was deep. It was emptiness. And can I just tell you, may I suggest, this is the exact same for me and you. Apart from the reality of the knowledge of God, there is going to be a desolate darkness and a deep emptiness. So look what happens. Verse three, it says, then God said, those three words are so profound. And we're gonna see them repeat over and over all throughout the first chapter of the book of Genesis, even in the second chapter, but we're not going there this morning. This is, then God said, let there be light. And guess what? There was. God spoke light into reality. And he saw that light was actually good. He separated the light from the dark. He spoke it into being. He spoke something into existence that was not yet there. And it was good. He spoke it and he saw it. He called the light day and darkness he called night. And there was now evening and there was morning. And that was day one. We go into day two and it starts again in verse six. And it says, then God said... And once again, God speaks something from nothing. He speaks something to an existence into the expanse. It says, in the, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Land, he's saying, let, he made the expanse and he separates the waters that were below the expanse from the heavens and, and that were above the expanse. And it says, and it was so. He called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning, day two. Then we get to verse three and it says it again. Then God said over and over, then God said and he creates over and over. Then God spoke and there's something from nothing. There's existence from nothingness. The power of the creator, God. And he calls it land, he calls it earth. And he says it was good. This is the first time we see God say it was good. It was so, but now it's good. And then in verse 11, God said, And then he starts to speak vegetation into existence, plants, fruit, trees, all the things, seeds. And and the earth begins to produce it because God spoke it. God said it. And now God's seeing it. And he says, he sees it and it's very good. Then there's morning and there's evening, day three, verse 14, we see it again. Then God said, and he spoke something else. Let there be lights in the expanse. 
All of the galaxies, every universe, known and unknown, seen and unseen, those that we could never see with the naked eye, those that are beyond those that we can see through the most powerful technology of man and the most powerful microscope that there is. There's even that beyond. And then beyond that, there's beyond. All of those things God speaks into existence. He knows exactly where they are in orbit. He knows their axis. He knows their name. He speaks. He breathes galaxies. Come on, somebody. Powerful. And it was so. He makes two great lights. A greater light to govern the day, a lesser light to govern the night. He made stars. He places them in the expanse of the heavens and he gives light to the earth, it says. And God sees this in verse 18 and he sees that it's good. It's good. There's evening and morning, day four. We get to verse 20, day five. Here it goes. God said, let the waters teem with life. He creates great sea creatures. God saw that it was good. He blesses life that he's created. Let it be fruitful. Let it multiply. Stay five. 24. God says, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kind, livestock, crawling things, animals on earth. I do want to ask God about roaches. I don't get it. I don't like them. They're a plague of the devil. God created them. The devil made them nasty. Just go with me, y'all. That's the book of John, not the Johns of the Bible, the book of John. I don't like roaches. I don't get it. Anything that can survive nuclear holocaust, I don't know. Anyway, it's free. It's free. I just took 30 seconds of the, just, sorry. So he makes the animals of the earth, right? According to their kind, livestock, according to their kind, everything that crawls. According to his God, and God sees that it's good. You know what I'm, listen to what I'm saying. Listen, I, I, listen to what I'm laying down. God sp- speaks it, and then he sees it. He would say, and then he would see. He would speak, and, and from nothingness, beautiful things would come to life. He would then examine what he had created, and he would see his goodness in it. I love it. Listen, do we believe that God created everything and that everything is good? Because I can tell you, we really don't live, actually we live very dualistic. It's called dualism, where we attribute certain things as spiritual and certain things as secular, certain things as good and God and certain things as bad and the devil. So we honestly kind of attribute creation sometimes in some ways through some things to the devil. And that's just not true. God created everything, and when he did, he created everything to be good. Can I tell you this? Everything is permissible, but not everything is profitable. Can I also tell you this? The enemy wants to be like God so much so, not because he adores and admires God, because he thinks he he can one-up God. And he takes the good things of God, and he twists them, and he manipulates them, and he makes them sick. But God created everything, and it's good. It's good. We gotta stop telling everybody everything that's bad when God created it to be good. So do we believe that? Do we believe that he created everything and it's good? See, there is not anything in one square inch of all of creation, in all of the universe, in every galaxy, both known and unknown, both seen and unseen, in which God did not speak into existence. There's not one square inch 
in all of creation or in any universe created by God or in any galaxy created by God. Again, both known and unknown, both seen and unseen, in which he does not exist, in which he does not inhabit, in which he does not dwell, and in which he does not call his. He is completely omniscient. He is totally transcendent. He is completely self-existent before anything God was. Um, When everything that we know ceases to exist, God will still be. He is completely omnipresent, meaning he has the ability to both fill both space and time at all times. He knows no limits. He knows no borders. He knows no boundaries. To him, there's none of that. He is holistically omnipotent, totally full of all-consuming power in every way. In fact, take the sum total, the sum total of the most powerful forces in all of creation that we can know and even potentially measure, put it all together, and it would still not, I mean, it would completely fail to even come close in comparison to the power of who God is, to the power in the name of Jesus. It's not even nearly able to compare to God's ability. See, our God created everything, and because of this, because of his ability to create something from nothingness, this should command a sense of wonder in us, right? This should command a sense of humble respect. This should give us, as humans, a sense of confidence and assurance. This should command a sense of awe in us for who God is. Not only did he create everything seen and unseen, but he also created me and you. Now listen to me, go with me. I want you to look at it. After all that he had already said and done, look at verse 26. It says, again, then God said, see, God spoke. And he said, you know what? I got an even gooder idea. (laughs) Let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness. And look what he says next. He says, let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, over the earth. Let them have dominion over it. Let them have authority over it. See, God created the world and everything in it. There is nothing that would exist apart from God, a.k.a. you're not an accident. You're not a blessing. You know what I mean by that. Of course you're a blessing. I mean, you're not an unplanned blessing. You were very intentionally dreamed and designed by an intentional creator, father. He created you and he created me. See, in his image, in his likeness. And then, not only that, listen, if you're here this morning and and maybe you've never, maybe you don't feel seen and heard, can I tell you something? You've got a father God who absolutely sees and absolutely hears you. He loves you, he created you in his image. You may not like what you see in the mirror, but can I tell you something? When God beholds you, he sees his masterpiece, Ephesians 2.10. The master, he sees the tapestry in which he paints his self-portrait, Imago Dei, if I say that correctly, created in his image. Where the enemy loves to manipulate and twist and bring sickness into it, right? The enemy wants to try to say, oh, no, 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 you're different. You don't matter. You don't measure. Your skin tone is different. God says, no, in my image, beautiful, perfect.
purposeful. See, he, then, he, then he, he doesn't just breathe and give you life. Now he gives you purpose. He gives you meaning. He gives you value. He gives you authority. It says God created man in his, own, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And then God blessed him. You know what blessed means here? More than satisfied. God more than satisfied them. Put them in the garden of perfection. Gave them everything that they would ever need. Gave them purpose and value and meaning. Said, hey, you subdue it. Rule over it. Have authority here. Have dominion here. And then God says, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the surface of the earth. Of every tree that, that, that has fruit yields seed. It shall be food for you. So not only does God do all these things, he creates you in his image. He creates something beautiful that he's so proud of. He creates something that's actually of higher value than anything else in all of creation that he's ever made. That he's ever spoken. Then he gives you authority. He gives you meaning. He gives you value. He gives you purpose. He, and then he says, you know what? Not only that, I'm going to promise provision for you. Here's everything you're going to need to survive. Every animal of the earth, every bird of the sky, everything that moves on the earth, which has life. I've given every green plant for food. And then it says, it was so. You know what it was so means? You can count on it. Somebody say, I can count on it. It was so. So here we see that not only did God create us, not only did he give us identity, authority, dominion, meaning, value, purpose, but in verse 31, God saw all that he had made and behold, he takes a minute because he's been speaking and now he's seeing and he beholds it, especially you. And he says this, oh, this is very good. So see, maybe you're looking in at life and going, this ain't good at all. Let's just get real, real talk for a minute. Can we do it? You okay with it? Maybe you're, maybe you're living in a moment right now and you're like, man, my life, my life absolutely sucks. He said that. Listen, if your life feels that way, you don't care because this is how you feel. Pastor, you have no idea what I've been dealing with. You have no idea what our family's walking through. You have no idea. You know what? When Pam got that diagnosis, she didn't know the way the story would be ending. I mean, ultimately, we all know the way this story ends. You don't know. You don't know what I'm dealing with. But you have a father who sees you and knows you and loves you and values you and created you in his own image and hears you. And he still sees everything about you and says, oh, this is very good. See, where the world and the enemy wants to convince you that you're very bad and you need to find some sort of identity that might be good or you need to live some sort of your truth that you think might be good that's probably gonna be ambiguous on some weird sliding scale that could change tomorrow. You know, I don't care what man-made vocabulary pronoun that you feel like that you need to identify yourself might need to, no, no. God sees what he created. He knows exactly why he created it and what he created it for. And God says, this is very, very good. This is very good. So God spoke us into existence and he beheld us. He took delight in us and he called us very good. Do we have a sense of awe for God? Do we have it? Sorry, man, I'm in a zone for a second. So I'm just gonna go here. We were talking about this this weekend in some meetings, talking about youth camp and 
You know, we look at Eucharist, the body of Christ that was broken for me and you. Let me, let me just illustrate why I, I, the gravity of the lack of awe of God right now is this, where we can hold up a piece of bread and say, this represents the body of Christ broken for you. Jesus holds up bread with his people that he loved, that God created in his image, that he was willing to die for. And he says, this is my body broken for you. You know why we're so in trouble when it comes to having a reverent awe for God? is because society looks at that and juxta- I mean, juxtaposes it with its own self because society wants to be its own God. Where Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Our mantra of this world with a lack of awe for God says, this is my body, my choice. Do you see it? And before you get offended and think that that's a political statement, you better back your truck up. That's not political, that's theological. So you can stand before a president or you can stand in a picket line or you can pontificate at at, at some bully pulpit and and politicize everything or you can recognize you're gonna stand before the throne of an almighty, powerful creator, God, one day. And guess what? Our marketing statements and our pronouns and none of those things will matter for anything except the holiness of God. But we've lost our sense of awe. We've lost our sense of wonder. We've lost it. Do we have this sense of awe for the power of God, for the love of God, for the goodness of God? Do we stand in awe of his creation? Do we stand in awe of his created? And do we see the goodness of God's handiwork all over? Do we see God as our provider? Do we believe in all that he created and all that he has ever done and will do that he beholds us and calls us very good? See, one of my favorite books The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brendan Manning, one of my favorite authors. He said this, creation discloses a power that baffles our minds and beggars our speech. Do we find ourselves so in awe of our creator God that it baffles our minds and beggars our speech? I turn to Isaiah 40 real briefly. I'm gonna read something. I want you to think about the text here. It says, who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who marked off the heavens by the span? Who calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? Who did all that? You? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? And and, and, and it's his counselor. Who informed him? With whom did he consult? Who gave him understanding? Who taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? In comparison to him, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Um, All are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon's not enough to burn, right? Nor its animals. None of that would be ever enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are nothing before him. They're recorded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. To whom then will you liken God? What likeness will you compare with him? I wonder, how is our sense of awe of God? Do we see him as high and exalted, completely beyond, beyond the sum total of all of creation's adoration, beyond our ability to describe appropriately with our finite words and our frail descriptions? When we think about God, we find ourselves with this, do we find ourselves with a sense of wonder? Or has he become too familiar? Do we just approach him very casually? Or do we come before him with fear and trembling, with reverence and awe? Or we, have we just deduced him? <laughs> Put a quarter in the slot machine. Get some happiness. Or, worthy of every aspect of who I am, called to holiness. A.W. Tozer, 
famous, most famous quote he ever said was, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what do we think about God? Let me tell you another one he said. He said, the reason um, why so many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give the orders and we're interfering with God's work within us. We're still trying to be God. We're still trying to stay in control. We're still trying to self-satisfy. We're still trying, no, 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 we gotta, we gotta self-medicate. The, the created identity's not enough. No, 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 you gotta be little Tom Brady. I know you're five, throw the football. Am I kidding? We're, we're still doing it, man. Like, we gotta be in control. We're still trying to be the God of our own lives. And you know what I believe this means? I believe it means that, that we, 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 very could, we have an awe problem, <laughs> maybe. When we find ourselves always troubled, lacking faith, when we find ourselves always still seeking, never satisfied, when we find ourselves always still needing, always stuck in self, it may well mean that we have an awe problem. We have an enemy who hates us, who's always trying to convince us that God is not enough. Since the days of Adam and Eve, since the days of the garden, the enemy has always tried to take our eyes off of God and our hearts away from the awe of God. The fruit of this has become that we have a far too high view of ourself and a far too low view of God. We have a far too high view of ourself and a far too low view of sin. We have a far too high view of ourself and a far too low view of holiness. It's an awe problem which leads us to having all these issues, all these situations that God did not create us for that came to rescue us from. Somebody better write that down. See, we abdicate our affections all too easily to undeserved, created things while failing to appreciate God for who he truly is and giving him all of our affection, adoration, attention, allegiance, and alignment that he fully deserves. Today, you know what happens when we have an awe problem? Let me just give it to you a few things. Romans 1 says, we don't, under, we don't honor God we don't give God our gratitude. We, we come, become futile in our, in our minds and foolish in our hearts. And then it says this in verse 25, we end up exchanging the truth of God for a lie and we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is actually the one that's blessed forever. And then maybe we hold to some form of godliness but completely emasculate and deny him of his power. We have an awe problem. We allow that which should be completely set apart, that which should be so overwhelmingly holy to just be familiar and casual. So while nothing should compare to God, we allow a lot of things to compete with God. How can we say we believe that he is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent with our lips, but with our lives continue to say, nope, just an option. It's like regardless of who God is and regardless of what God has done, we continue to thirst because his ever generous living water doesn't seem to be enough to satisfy us. We continue to hunger because his ever faithful provision of manna doesn't seem to be enough to nourish us. We continue to want and we wait because we want, not because we're waiting on God and his provision, because we're waiting until the time where we can get what we want and do what we need to do to get what we want because his ever perfect presence doesn't seem to be enough to really fulfill us. When we have this awe problem, we can know the truth in our head and allow it to be super informative, but we struggle to allow that very real truth to penetrate or permeate our heart and become transformative. Now, according to Paul David Tripp, see, you don't, you don't have to look very far to see 
all problems everywhere around us. We don't have to look far at all. Adultery is an all problem, let me tell you. To the degree that you forget God's glory as the creator of your body and his place as owner of every aspect of your physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual personhood, to that degree it is easier to use the members of your body to get whatever pleasure your heart craves. Adultery is an awe problem. Students, I realize multiple generations have come Maybe you're of my generation where true love weights was like, that was the thing. And we even went to the Atlanta Dome and we stacked our true love weights commitments through the roofs and we wore true love weights jewelry. We had whole generations that have now gone not hearing about sexual purity. We have an all problem. So student, you might hear the word adultery and go, that's not me. Yes, it is. Let me tell you why. Because there's a covenant relationship between you and God. The parent, the parent, the parental marriage is a picture of the covenant relationship, even though we made it a contract with the government, which is why it has very little meaning to us today. It's a covenantal picture between you and God. And you may sit here and say, well, I'm not married. Maybe you're single. I'm not married, so anything goes. No, no, no. No, you're just sleeping around behind God's back. That's what we're doing. He's the quick fix in the back seat, cheap thrill with a boyfriend. Debt is an awe problem. When your mind is blown away by the thought that God provides everything you have, that every good gift really does come from him, you are predisposed to be a good steward of the things that he has provided for you. Debt is an awe problem. Obsession with the collection of possessions, all problem. It's the result of an all amnesia that makes us ask of things that, that we only will ever get from the glory of God, who alone can only satisfy our searching hearts. So obsession with the collection of stuff, it's an all problem. Living for power and control, listen to me, it's an all problem. When we live with the rest, in the rest and the peace um, that come from keeping the power, authority, and the sovereignty of God before our eyes, we don't need to work ourselves into control over the people and situations of our life. Our, control, our need for control is an all problem. Why? Because we're in control. It's the greatest illusion. No, no, I'm in control. I'm the God of me. Gluttony and obesity, that's an awe problem. When you forget the glory of the satisfying grace of the Redeemer, you are susceptible to letting things like food and drink become your temporary replacement. Messiahs. Maybe you're like, man, John, you're, you're being mean today. No, that's actually Paul David Tripp. Blame him, email him. <laughs> but it's an awe problem. Fear of man. Uh-oh. Fear of man is an awe problem. When we forget that God's glory defines not only him, but who we have become as his child, but we look to people to give us meaning and purpose and identity. We look to society and culture to give us meaning, purpose, and identity. Can I get real? A lot of times we're, too, we're, we're more worried about getting canceled by culture walking in the favor of our creator. Fear of man's an awe problem. And get, listen, the awe war is everywhere. Constantly beckoning you. 
Here's the question. Understanding the God who created everything, including me and you, when he created us, he created us and hardwired us with a desire to, for him to worship him. That's it. He created, he, he hardwired us with this longing for him. And the all problem becomes when we don't ascribe appropriately to him what we were created for, but we cheapen it with everything else. So knowing we were created to worship, who or what, who or what are we worshiping, right? Who or what do we give our attention to? Who or what are we giving our affection to? Who or what are we giving our allegiance to? What grips our heads? What grips our hearts today? Do we really stand? What is it that we're really standing or bowing in awe of? Is it God? Because if we're honest, maybe we might say, actually, if I'm being honest, it's really someone or something else. Can I say, may we not find ourselves with that Romans 1 issue where we exchange the truth of God for a lie and we begin to worship creatures rather than the creator. See, only God is worthy of our attention. Only God is worthy of our affection. Only God is worthy of our allegiance. Only God is worthy of our everything, our worship, our wonder. So may we find ourselves overwhelmed and awestruck only by God. For who he is, for his glory, for his goodness, for his greatness, for his holiness, for his power. Albert Einstein said this, thought it was pretty profound. He said, he who can no longer pause to wonder is as good as dead. Christmas day, it was 1968. As we close, three astronauts of Apollo 8, they circle the dark side of the moon and they're, as they get around that other side, the dark side, they start to head for home and suddenly over the horizon of the moon rose up this, this blue and white earth, brilliant, I mean, brilliant, beautiful, garlanded um, by, by the glistening light of the sun against the black void of space. They see the earth just kind of begin to crown out of darkness, overwhelmed, breathtaking. There's no words to define. The feeling of what they're beholding. See, those sophisticated, very intellectual men, those very trained, educated people in Apollo 8. I mean, they're trained in all things science, all things technology. In that moment, they didn't utter an Einstein quote. They, they didn't even go to the poets, the lyricists, or the dramatists. They didn't do any of that. Only one thing could capture this awe-inspiring thrill of this magnificent observation. Billions of people heard the voice from outer space as the astronaut beholds this sight and says these words. It's all he could say, and this is what he said. In the beginning, God. That's all he could say. 
It's the only concept, right? Worthy enough to describe that unspeakable awe, that un, just, it's unutterable in any other way. In the beginning, God created. I mean, the invasive, the inescapable sense of the infinite and the eternal in the beginning. Hey, would you pray with me? I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet. Just in the last few minutes we got, can I just say this is, this is the most important few minutes of the morning right now. Are you awestruck this morning in wonder at who God is today? Remember what Tozer said, what comes into your minds when you think about God, it's the most important thing about you. So what are you thinking about God? <laughs> what are you thinking about him right this very second? you in awe of him? Do you have need of him? Are you confident in him? Have you been rescued by him? I mean, have you come to the place where you, you finally fully know it's really only him that truly satisfies? He's the only one that can truly fill me abundantly. So maybe Maybe if, if you're not standing in awe of God right now, maybe it's because you've never really encountered God in such a way that you're enraptured by his undeserved mercy and his irresistible grace. So here's my prayer right now in this moment. My prayer right in this moment is that the spirit of God, the presence of Jesus would just begin to rage through this room. I am asking for the Holy Spirit to just rest upon us in ways that maybe we've never even encountered him before. I am asking for the kabod, the weight of the glory of God to just sit upon this room for a second. Maybe you would even hold your hands out as if to receive something this morning. And I'm just gonna ask you, do you really know God? Here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about the God of religion. I'm not talking about the God of morality, the do better, try harder, earn it through your works. Those are not really God. That's still us trying to be God. I'm talking about the God who would send Jesus. And he's the only way to have access and friendship and forgiveness and freedom. He's the only way to have friendship with God but he would send Jesus to live this sinless life, but to die an undeserved death of a common criminal. So to pay for the sin of the entire world, not to die on the stick to say, well, I did the best I can, but to declare over your life and mine, nope, it is finished. It is finished, I paid it all. I'm suggesting to you a love that's so remarkable a grace that to the religious is so scandalous that there is a God who created you and loves you so much in spite of your depravity and your mess and your propensity and your brokenness and your disobedience and your sin. I am telling you, there is a God who loves you so, so much that he created you and knows exactly who he created you to be and what he created you for. And when he sees you, he beholds you and he sees his goodness that, that, that marks you because of who he is. And he says, oh, this is so good. And it's worth the life of Jesus so that I don't have to live for eternity without that one. That's what I'm talking about.
It has nothing to do with your morality and your religion. Holy Spirit will work that out. It has everything to do with, do you know God? If you're in the room today, and maybe it's been about church and, 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 and your works, and maybe it's been about your, your ability to be good, and maybe it's been about your earning ability. Maybe you can give enough to buy it. Nope. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I'm going to invite you this morning to receive this gift of abundant life only through Jesus. So would you pray with me? Right where you are, you can say it out loud, you can pray it in your heart, whatever you're comfortable with. We're just going to confess our desire for God. So pray with me. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for calling me by name. Thank you, God, that you've created me. And when you see me, and when you hear me, you think I'm very good. Not because of anything I've done, but because of who you are. Jesus, I surrender everything to you. I willingly and gladly give it all. Would you forgive me and set me free? Thank you for giving me the ability to be a friend of God. Would you empty me right now of all of my past, all of my trauma, all of my pain, all of my bad decisions, all of my regret, all of my sickness, all of my shame, all my addictions, all habits that are keeping me from holiness. And would you fill me to overflow with your Holy Spirit in this very moment, I pray. In your name, Jesus. Now listen, with your eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, would you slip a hand up just so I can see you? Keep it up until I know. Thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Keep those hands up just until I see. Thank you. Anybody else? Hey, church, can we celebrate three people just said yes to Jesus for the very first time? Come on, give them your best for a second, church. Listen, before we go, I'm gonna ask for three more minutes. See, y'all come to the 11, and I'm so glad you do, but that's when I just really, un, I, just un, I just unwind, I go. So I'm asking you for three more minutes. But can I tell you this? It's, it, to me, it's the best three minutes. Because it's just you and God for a second. I believe he wants to speak some things over your life. He wants to invite you to another step with him because he loves you so much. So I just want to respond to him for a second because see, some of us, maybe we're here and we're like, yeah, pastor, I've been walking with God a long time, but he's pretty familiar and I'm pretty casual. And I just, I need to repent and ask him to restore I offer him. So the team is going to lead. And when they begin to sing, I'm going to invite you. Take a minute with the Lord. Maybe you just need to sit down. Thank you so much for joining us today. Maybe today you need to take the next step in your faith. Whether that be giving your life to Christ, or maybe you would like prayer and need to be contacted by one of our pastors. In the podcast description, you will find a link to our website and a link to an online connection card. And if you feel led, there will also be a link there where you can give directly to the ministries of Declaration Online. We would love to hear from you. God bless you and have a wonderful week.